Well, good evening, everyone. My name is Morgan. I'm the associate pastor here at Incarnation. Thank you for praying for our family. If you've thought about us the last few weeks, I realize it's been a few weeks since I've seen all of you. Um, and we are now the proud parents of a healthy little almost two-week-old baby boy. <laughs> so thank you. Thank you for your prayers. He is really adorable. Uh, and so he and Ashley, they send their greetings tonight. They were sad that they couldn't actually come tonight. He's just a little bit too young to be around a big group of people during the height of flu season. Uh, but I assure you that he told me he sends his greetings from his little <laughs> bassinet this evening. <laughs> so as we begin together, let me go ahead and pray for us. Well, would you guide and direct us, O Lord? always and everywhere with your holy light, that we may discern with clear vision your presence among us and partake with worthy intention of your divine mysteries. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. 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 Well, growing up, uh, I grew up in Sonoma County, and when you grow up in Sonoma County, seeing a vineyard there is as common as driving through D.C. and seeing a monument. They're everywhere. And in every season of the year, those vines and those vineyards look a little bit different. Certain times of the year, there's this beautiful green foliage with no grapes. Then certain times of the year, there's that same beautiful green foliage dotted with these little purple clusters of grapes. And then at other times of the year, when you get towards fall, those same clusters of grapes are set against this beautiful backdrop of the late harvest when the, the leaves are yellow and fiery red, and then maybe you know this, but grapes don't actually grow on trees, they grow on vines. And if you've lived in Virginia for any length of time, you know all about vines. And you know how vines spread, and you know you've seen as you've driven on the freeway how they just take over. So in order to keep grape vines fruitful, the vine dresser has to cut back the vine. And they usually do this during winter, so that by spring you have the proper growth that you can expect. So when, what creates the wintertime, in, in, what that creates is the vine dresser prunes back the vine in wintertime. There's this scene that it creates, and winter's the wet season in Sonoma County. It creates this scene during the wet season where you drive along and you see these sort of um, just vineyard graveyards where there's just rows of trellises everywhere, and it's this muddy ground for miles and these little tiny stumps of what would be grapevines. And if those trellises weren't there, the wind couldn't actually pass through the, the grapevines, and the sun wouldn't hit all the leaves. And so that trellis is important. The grapes wouldn't be as abundant without them. And looking at the sight of those trellises during wintertime, there is no vine dresser who would call it a success merely to have nice rows of well-built trellises. Because success is measured by the growth of the grapes and the production and the quality of the wine that gets produced. Similarly, in our passage tonight, St. Paul is concerned with gospel growth. We've been in this series in Colossians, and he's bringing us to the end of the letter. There are ways that we as a church build trellises, and trellises are necessary for the growth of the church. But to have a trellis without good fruit indicates a problem in our souls where we're concerned far more with looking like we have the capacity for spiritual growth than actually doing the hard work of tending the vine, letting the gospel take root and bearing the fruit of righteousness in us. 
St. Paul began this letter to the Colossians with this prayer and, and thanksgiving for these Colossian believers because the gospel had reached them. The gospel had reached them and was bearing fruit and it was increasing. And his petition to God was that God would fill them with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that they would walk in a manner that's worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to God, knowing, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Thanksgiving is one of the main themes of this letter. It pervades everything in Colossians. And that's because we've been given this awesome privilege in sharing in the inheritance of the saints in light, as he says. And we've been transferred from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of the beloved son. And last week, Amy did an excellent job of introducing us to St. Paul's household code, where what happens in the household for a Christian is supposed to be a reflection of the kingdom of God. Today, we come to the closing of the letter. St. Paul ends with a request for prayer. He closes the letter, and as he does this, one of the things that he wants to imprint on their minds and on their hearts is that what the gospel has produced in them, this new life in God under the lordship of Christ associated with thanksgiving, should be on their minds for others as well. Their prayer and conduct should reflect a heart that wants to see God's gospel go forth into new people, those who are on the outside. So as he bids them farewell, he paints this picture for them of what it means to be fellow workers with him in the kingdom of God. They're called to be a people that's busy at prayer, a people of wisdom and grace in their speech in order for the gospel to go out in order for the gospel to bear fruit. So we get to verse two in chapter four. And he says this, devote yourselves to prayer. In other words, you should busy yourself with prayer. It's the thing that you should be busy doing. He's inviting the Colossians to be busy with prayer because he sees no other way for the gospel to go forth and to bear fruit except by prayer. But if you're like me, then you can find it difficult to be somebody who's actually busying themselves with prayer because it's easy to busy yourself with lots of other things. And so we can ask this question, what feels busy to us? What takes time away from prayer? Right now, for me, it's the feeding cycles of a newborn uh, mixed with lack of sleep and some other work commitments. And is there a way that we could sanctify those moments in prayer? so that they don't crowd out Thanksgiving. Maybe it'd be helpful to block times out in our calendar for prayer or memorize some of the prayers in scripture or the Book of Common Prayer so that we can work and pray together constantly throughout the day. We wanna sanctify those moments with Thanksgiving. The type of prayer to busy ourselves with should be characterized by thankfulness and gratitude according to this letter. Gratitude is the first thing that gets crowded out when we're busied by other things when we're hurried by things that aren't prayer. The thankfulness comes because of the ways that the gospel has taken root in us, the ways that the gospel has grown in us, the way that it's borne fruit. And it's this constant antidote to unhealthy rituals of busyness that crowd out the joy that we have in our life in Christ. At the end of the day, I've 
started to reflect on this question, and I think it's helpful, I offer it to you as well. What if people learned about the good news of Jesus Christ from the things that I have said or from the things that I have done as I've encountered them? What if people learned about the good news of Jesus Christ from the things that I've said or the things that I have done when they've encountered me during the day? It's an opportunity for repentance for sure, but it's also an invitation for prayer as the Holy Spirit might bear fruit in us and as he advances God's kingdom on earth. So as the Colossians are busying themselves in prayer, Paul asks that they would pray for him. But not just for him, but that they would pray that God would open a door for the word to go out. The clear proclamation of the mystery of Christ. And I've been reading this really helpful book lately. It's called The Trellis and the Vine, which is describing this vision of discipleship. And I appreciate what it says uh, as it describes the same thing that St. Paul is describing in Colossians. The book says, throughout the world, the gospel is spreading, propagating, budding, flowering, bearing fruit. Once the gospel is planted in someone's life and takes root, it keeps growing in them. We talk a lot these days about church growth. And when we think about our lack of growth, we think of the lack of growth of our particular congregation. But it's interesting how little the New Testament talks about church growth and how often it talks about gospel growth or the increase of the word, as we see here in Colossians. In other words, each individual church is a vehicle for God's gospel, for the word to go forth in power and to grow into the lives of individuals. So Paul asks the Colossians to pray, to pray that the word would go forth, not that they just put their brand on it, not that they help establish a church like theirs, not that they would send a group of expert consultants to build something permanent, but that the word would have an open door to take root and to grow somewhere else, just like it had in the lives of the Colossians. You never know where God is going to take the seeds of the gospel. You never know. And so as you live this life of prayer, would you continue to pray specifically for gospel growth? not just in yourselves, but in others. That life of prayer helps you look for it. Pray with joyful expectancy and watch for the surprising places that the seeds of the gospel are gonna take root and start growing. So St. Paul calls us not just to be a prayerful people, but a grace-filled people, especially when it comes to those who are on the outside, especially in our speech. Each and every day, you and I encounter people who don't walk with Jesus. And each and every day, as we interact with them, uh, we have various levels of intimacy with them. Some are acquaintances, some are friends, and this is a good thing, which seems pretty obvious. But in those relationships, those who are outside the faith, we're called to walk in wisdom and grace. Part of what it means in this passage to make the absolute most of your time is to have your speech characterized by grace and by wisdom. And I find that for me, and maybe for you, there are two problematic ways that we are tempted to engage others who are outside the faith. The first way is this. As soon as we begin a relationship, 
we start putting ourselves on the defensive and we have this ulterior motive for that friendship and we start to feel responsible for that person's salvation. And so we relentlessly argue. We share this packaged message of the gospel. We talk apologetics every time we see them. And, and that, uh, some people might want that kind of relationship, but it's rare. It's, it's pretty exhausting, to be honest. Um, but then there's another extreme that we're tempted to do, or at least me. The other type of extreme is that person who says, that, that phrase that's attributed to St. Francis of Assisi, you know, share the gospel everywhere, and if necessary, use words. But that person says, well, there's never actually a time that's necessary to use words. Or, or they just say it internally. Um, but in between those two extremes, in between those two extremes, Paul calls us to be salty. He says, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt. To be salty in this passage is not the way that we often use the word for being salty, I assure you. We often refer to people being salty who are somewhat cynical or a bit brash, but here in Colossians, salty people are closer to what Jesus is talking about when he tells his disciples, you are the salt of the earth. Being salty refers to a type of wisdom that knows how to answer each person where he or she is at. Kind of reminds me of a doctor who has, who's done a lot of work in how to, how to treat different kinds of ailments. There's a lot of research that goes into this, a lot of years to know how to properly prescribe different kinds of medicine to different kinds of ailments and different kinds of people. You don't give aspirin to heal the flu. You don't give antibiotics to fix a common headache. And so too, you and I were called to a type of wise speech that differentiates people and it addresses them appropriately. It makes us students. And I can't help but think that there's a relationship, an intimate one between verses five and six with this exhortation to speech and verses two through four when he talks about prayer. To grow in wisdom and grace with our speech takes an incredible amount of work on our own spiritual life through habits of prayer with the Lord and reflection on ourselves and on the relationships that we have. Gospel growth, it happens with reflective, salty people who aim at curing souls of their ailments through wise and through gracious speech. Paul's ultimate aim is for the gospel to grow. And so he exhorts us, just like the Colossians, to do this by being busy at prayer and by walking in wisdom towards those outside. So preaching on this passage, um, it just feels like an incredible kindness to me and a huge gift uh, tonight. For the last three years, uh, I've been building a lot of trellises and I've been doing a lot of vine dressing here at Incarnation and it has been a joy to see the gospel take root in you and bear fruit. And I feel grateful for how I've been able to serve here. And I'm grateful for all of your lives. And I'm grateful for the friendships that we have here. And as was mentioned in the Friday email, this is my last Sunday at Incarnation because I'll be starting a new church in the Franconia Springfield region with the blessing of the bishop, the diocese, and the local clergy. And it's going to be very sad for me not to see all of you each week to serve as a pastor here, to watch your children grow up. That's really sad. And I'm going to 
deeply miss our community here. You guys have been incredible friends over the last three years. Like St. Paul, I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you to busy yourselves in prayer. And when you pray, would you remember Ashley and Cole and me so that the gospel would be proclaimed clearly, that it would bear fruit in Franconia, Springfield, and Kingstown? Would you pray for trellis builders and for vine growers to come and to use their gifts to grow the gospel and that God would open doors for his word there? And would you continue to do the hard work yourselves of walking in wisdom? And would you pray that I would do the same? I want to express my gratitude to Reverend Liz for allowing me to join the team three years ago. I'm really grateful for you. Um, I'm grateful for your fortitude. You are accomplishing a lot, and you've been a good, good shepherd to this congregation. Um, for Amy and your hours and hours hours and hours (laughs) of labor that you do to make it possible for this church to even exist and to come together and worship in the way that your creative genius just marks the DNA of this congregation. For Josie, who's not in here right now, um, but she'll listen to this later, um, for her endless creativity and the ways that she fosters this intergenerational discipleship that all of us have benefited from, in making those manipulatives for the atrium. Also, she's the master of Instagram. (laughs) And for Beth, um, who just has excelled beyond all of us in developing leaders at Incarnation. And she she shows us what it means to look like Christ at work both here and in her job outside of the church. And thank you all, Incarnation, for doing so many things on a Sunday, for being a family on a Sunday, um, for worshiping together, for leading transformative small groups together, and for just loving your neighbors well, Um, for praying for one another, and for being an incredibly generous community with one another and with those around you, for the ways that you give of your time and your financial support to God's kingdom work here at Incarnation. It was a gift to pastor um, such a spirit-filled and other-centered community. So I'm going to wrap up this evening, and um, one of the colleagues that I want to pray is one that's sort of emblazoned on my mind. And it's this colleague during the evening prayer. It's a colleague for mission. And it's been my prayer for the the new church plant. It's my prayer for you, um, and I offer this to you. God and Father of all, whom the whole heavens adore, let the whole earth also worship you. All nations obey you. All tongues confess and bless you. And men, women, and children everywhere love you and serve you in peace. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.